Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. My name is Dr. Danielle Campaign, and I am your American Ambulance Medical Director. I'm here today with two awesome co-hosts, uh, Dr. Sajin Bakta and Dr. Patil Armenian. Hi, everyone. Hi. All right, so today we're talking about everyone's favorite topic, COVID. Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of Americans' family. Help is on the way, got a unit and route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sunrise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path, this is what I do. The double A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American. Get your lights on. Here comes American. Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here comes American. Get your save on. Sajin, you want to tell us the numbers? Sure. Uh, Like we've been doing, we'll start uh, big and then we'll narrow down to Fresno. As of this morning, based on the Johns Hopkins website, there were 3.2 million cases in the world with 228,000 deaths. Um, Just to note, that mortality rate is about 7%. Um, In the U.S., we're up to over a million cases, 1.04 million cases with 61,000 deaths. That mortality rate is about 5.7%. In California, we're up to 46,500 cases with a little under 2,000 deaths. That's a mortality rate of about 4%. And now here in Fresno, uh, based on the numbers from April 29th, the end of the day, we have 538 cases with seven deaths. And that mortality rate is about 1.3%. Remember that Nobody really knows the true numbers. Unfortunately, our testing just hasn't ramped up as we hoped it would. Asymptomatic people are still going untested and we don't have true numbers. We mentioned on the last episode that some models had predicted a peak around April 20th to the 23rd, and we did see a slight bump in the numbers in those few days, um, not only in Fresno, but actually uh, in the U.S. as a whole. And the numbers seem to have come down a little bit, but we are still steadily increasing the number of cases and deaths every single day. It's about 10%, right? 10% in Fresno are going up every day right. in cases. Right. You know, the thing I want to know the most is, is who's recovered, but it seems like because we haven't tested everybody, we can't really have a good sense of who's recovered in, right. from this. Right. Um, and I know at the hospital, at Community Regional Medical Center, they have about uh, 23 inpatients as of today that have, are currently COVID positive, and they have about 30 rule out COVID. So they're there, they have symptoms, but the test is not back yet. So that has climbed since our last podcast. Um, so let's go ahead and um, jump to new COVID symptoms. So I know we're all looking for fever. We're all looking for flu-like symptoms. Um, what else should we be looking for? Yeah, as time progresses and we learn more and more about this disease, we're seeing different symptoms that now we can look back and say, oh, that was from COVID. And one of the interesting ones is is a loss of taste and smell, and that's considered a really early symptom, um, as well as um, just profound hypoxia. So you'll have somebody who is talking to you and looks pretty okay, and then you check their O2 sat, and it's like 70% but they look okay. So that's totally different than our norm, right? Because when usually like somebody who's satting 70, they're going to be like completely altered or very in a lot of distress and look terrible. And these are just not those patients. And so we've been talking a lot about how you really can't use your O2 sat 
to guide your next course of treatment for these patients because the O2-sats will fool you. I think they're calling those the happy hypoxics, right? They're on their cell phone, Mm -hmm. they're texting, but they're sat 70%. Yeah, or sometimes even lower, yeah. Um, Another um, interesting um, symptom is something that people are calling COVID toes, where you can get a purpura um, on your toes, and they think it's from some sort of either immune-mediated vasculitis or related to hypoxia. Um, Describe what purpura will look for us. I always love that word. So purpura is, just think purple. Purpura is purple. And usually it's raised purple um, lesions on the skin. And so if you you just look at like the toes, for example, and you're like, what are those purple spots? And they're not tiny dots, but they're bigger. So they're like, they're kind of more like. Like quarter or, you know, dollar size. Or even, you know, five millimeters or greater, I would say. Um, and then, um, and then a lot of other random things that just seem fully unrelated, like GI things like diarrhea, um, and vomiting from seeing a lot of GI symptoms. There's been people that have had neurological symptoms like altered mental status and, um, things that look like, um, look like a viral meningitis from COVID and then a whole realm of heart-related issues. So a lot of um, researchers now are thinking that COVID can also cause a myocarditis, which is a viral infection of the heart. And that would look like basically heart failure. So it's kind of scary. I feel like COVID can almost do anything uh, nowadays. So it's just be on alert and um, do what we're doing already and treat everybody like they have COVID. And that's why we're doing universal masking. Yeah, and I Exactly. I think that's why universal precautions are so key because... They just think a lot of people have it. They don't know they have it. They have these different symptoms. And so we just have to uh, protect ourselves and uh, protect from transmitting to others. Now, a lot of people are calling 911. You know, they're having chest pain. They're a diabetic emergency. They're having some other problem. And then when our poor paramedics get there, they're like, I don't want to go anymore. You know, I'm going to get COVID. What are some suggestions you guys have for the troops about what, what they can do to kind of alleviate those RMCT concerns or how to, how to get the patients to realize that their emergency needs to go in. Um, we just want you all to remember that uh, these patients really need to be evaluated in the hospital. You don't have to take the burden on yourself to try and evaluate them and see if they're safe for RMCT. Please always call into base if you can't get them to come with you. Um, but also just tell them that we're all taking universal precautions. We want to take your complaint seriously, and we think that you need to get checked out. And we can't fully evaluate here in the field. We don't have all the tools that we need to check you out, and we'd really like to take you to the hospital. And like I said, please call into the hospital. As base hospital physicians, we're happy to talk to any patient and try to relieve their fears and get them to really come in and be evaluated. Yeah, and I think, too, letting them know that every hospital in the valley has a hot and cold zone. And so if they're coming in for a broken leg, they're not going to be put in the COVID zone. They're going to be put in a cold zone. And, yeah, they'll have a mask on, so they they won't give anything if they don't know they have it or receive anything. So tell them we don't want them to go home with the COVID present. And so we are doing very diligent to keep everybody separated. I think a lot of patients right now have a misconception that if they come to the hospital, they're going to get covid and that's just simply not the case where otherwise we wouldn't be able to work there. You know, we're taking so many precautions to separate everyone out. Every single person inside is wearing masks. And so I think that um, if if they're one of their key things is, well, I'm scared to go because I, I don't want to get it, then you can alleviate that fear. And another thing is, it's just you can take that 
uh, primary decision-making burden off your own shoulders. You can put it on the base hospital physician's shoulders. Uh, that's fine. That's what we're here for. This is important because we are seeing a lot of sick people come into the hospital finally after two or three RMCTs, and now it's kind of almost too late to even do a lot to help them because they were too scared to come in. What I would say our volume of COVID in our valley is concerning, but we have more diabetics and more cardiac emergencies. Like your probably chance of dying from a heart attack or a diabetic emergency is much higher than dying of COVID in Fresno County right now. So these poor people who are staying at home and not going in to get their heart attack treated. Um, it's worse for them. Exactly. So Danielle, what are we doing differently in terms of airway management? And what are some sort of protocols doing to adapt to the new um, environment that we're in? Right. So um, SEMS has taken this very uh, seriously, and we're really trying to decrease exposure to um, the paramedics and EMTs that are on the front lines. So one is with all aerosolizing procedures. Um, we're minimizing those. So that came out a couple of weeks ago. I think we talked about it in a past podcast. So there's there's last resort. We do not want to do any albuterol nebulizer treatments. We're really trying not to use um, CPAP. And then when it comes to the airway and airway management, um, there's no more intubation. So we don't want that paramedic's face super close to the patient. We're using a, a superglottic airway. So either the eye gel or the king tube. Both are approved um, in the county. So it kind of depends on the agency. Here at American, right now, as of today, April 30th, we're using king tubes, but we're rolling out an education process to switch to the eye gel, um, which is a little easier um, superglottic airway. And the goal is that you could shove that in without you having to be super close to the patient. And um, before you even start bagging, just put that in. Now, of course, anytime you're de- dealing with the airway or doing CPR, you know, they need to be in full PPE, expanded PPE. So that's their N95, their face shield, gloves, and gown with all those procedures. So we are all taking um, those steps. But definitely taking away intubation, I know, was really hard. The paramedics love that skill. We love that they do it. But it's one of the things that we really um, don't want them to be near that airway as least as possible. Even with the superglottic airways like the king tubes, it's really important to try and get a good seal and get them in as far as possible. You, it is an aerosolizing procedure if you don't have a great seal on your superglottic airway. Um, so try to get that in as far as you can. And then, of course, on oxygen. So say they just put the guy on a nasal cannula or they just put him on a non-rebreather. We're putting a mask over the non-rebreather or just your plain surgical mask over the nasal cannula. And there's a great study that shows that that decreases viral particle transmission too. Yeah, and we're doing the mask over the non-rebreather or nasal cannula, both pre-hospital and in the hospital as well. Uh, I used it on a patient yesterday, and I felt comfortable about it. Yeah, so anything we can do to decrease, especially since we don't, our testing is not fast enough. I mean, we would love to test and within three minutes know who has COVID, because then I think it would really save a lot of resources. But since we don't have that, we got to treat them like they all have COVID. Sajin, can you tell us about antibody testing? You know, I hear from so many people. I really want to get that IgG test. Um, Tell me, first of all, remind me again, IgG, IgM, what that means. And tell me, how would that affect us? How would that change our things, even if we knew? Right. So the antibody testing, IgM is the antibody we get when we're newly infected. Our body's just starting to fight the virus. Um, And then IgG is something that we accumulate once quote unquote, immunity has been built. Um, or after a long time after developing these initial antibodies, they we form IgG. Um, unfortunately, even people who have IgG may get reinfected and that may be due to multiple strains of the virus or um, mutations in the virus or something we haven't figured out yet. So um, we were hoping that maybe if we got some rolled out 
this mass antibody testing, we could see who has developed these IgGs and say that they were kind of cleared and safe to do whatever they wanted, but that doesn't seem like it's the case. It's kind of like the flu then. Like I get the flu shot every year, but you can still get the flu. Right. Yeah. So um, even it'd be nice to know if I had IgG and I know that, oh, I had that coronavirus a week ago, a month ago, or however long ago, but it really doesn't change our need for PPE and our continued diligence. Um, Now, what about social distancing? Aren't you guys sick of this? Aren't you guys tired of it? I'm tired of it. I want to just go out. I want to go to the parks. But that's my uh, non-intellectual brain talking, right? We all know we have to keep social distancing. And did you guys see Sweden? Yeah, the good news is every country and every region are doing, they're all doing different things all across the world and the United States. And so you have your science experiments happening right before (laughs) your eyes. You could just look at the data and see, does social distancing work or not? And it works. So Sweden took an active, I am not going to social distance stance. He's like, no way, Jose. They are not. They're going to parks. They're going to concerts. They're hanging out. They did not change their way of life one bit. And so they took the lead. They beat America. They beat the United States. Sadly, in a very sad way. So their total confirmed COVID-19 deaths per million people is really high. And so they, you know, we're about at 150 deaths per million people. And they're like way over 200. So they're really, um, and they're a much smaller country. So um, they have uh, about 21,000 confirmed coronavirus cases in Sweden and like 2,500 deaths. So their death rate is is much higher than it needs to be. So um, they're kind of showing us that Sweden didn't do social distancing and then they're they're having more deaths per million people because of it. Finland and Denmark are their neighbors, right? And they're kind of similar sized countries. And so how do Finland and Denmark compare? Yeah, so they had way less cases. So Sweden had 21,000 cases, right? Finland only had almost 5,000 cases, so way less. Um, and since they're the same population, um, they also, instead of having 2,500 deaths, they only had 200 deaths. So it shows that those two neighboring countries, you know, all these are about the size of San Joaquin Valley. They're all super small countries. But um, it shows that social distancing does work. Even though we hate it, I hate staying at home. I don't. I want to go see my family. I want to go see my friends, but it really does work. So... Um, I like to say this is a marathon and not a sprint and just hang in there. Even though you want to go shopping and you want to do all these things, really um, tell your friends and family to keep doing it. It works. We actually may have some local examples of not ideal social distancing, like in really cramped quarters, like for example, nursing homes. It seems like there may be some outbreaks in nursing homes. Can you tell us more about that too? Yeah, sadly in the South Valley, there's been a bunch on the news. And um, I know here in Fresno, um, some nursing homes are testing positive for COVID. And I think one of the things are, it's just a it's a, it's a highly contagious virus, right? And then these are a group of patients that are really compact together, right? So they're sharing the same airspace, sharing the same rooms, sharing the same bathrooms. And so when they con- that congregate nature of the resident population is hard, is hard to separate and hard to prevent. When by nature, they're already not per- in perfect health to be in a nursing home. So they're going to catch it easier. And because it's going to kind of take hold in their bodies, they're going to replicate that virus and then just transmit it far easier, I think, than um, a regular person who might not even catch it that bad in the first place. And then classically in nursing homes, you know, the staff that work there, not all of them are full time. You know, a lot of the like the nursing assistant is kind of an entry level position. And so they rotate, you know, they work at a couple hospitals where they're going to school or doing different things. And I feel like that lends to somebody asymptomatically getting it and then transferring it to the next place they work and the next place they work. So that person might not realize. And I don't think nursing homes are used to the amount of PPE that's needed. So you don't know their supply chain. 
everybody's looking into this, like why are these um, poor nursing homes? And then their death rates are so high, I think because of what Patil was saying, right? That they're just very sick anyway. So if they get it, their chance of death is much higher. One more question for the group is, um, do we need to save masks? And we want to be very diligent and think of PPE as a scarce resource. You know, it's more important than toilet paper. And uh, since it's a scarcity, we really want to preserve it and respect it. And so if you realize that your mask is not damaged, you haven't used it for anything, like go ahead and put in that paper bag and store it and feel free to use it again. And for sure, use same mask, same day. So if you're going on two calls, they're not exercising procedures, maybe you didn't even enter the ring. Maybe you're the second person and your partner entered the ring. like, please use that mask again. American Ambulance is really on top of this. And uh, I am involved as your medical director in all the decisions that involve PPE and your safety. And your safety is our is our number one priority, the safety of the crews. We don't want any, not a single person to get sick. So I know you, you feel like every day there's a new policy. Every day there's a new change. Just know that we're doing that to keep up with the change that we're learning about this virus. Remember, it's a brand new virus. The whole world only learned about it a couple months ago. So same as the hospital policies are changing every day, and that's really to protect you and to protect us. And so that way um, we are up with what CDC is saying, what public health is saying, what all the best virologists in the country are saying. And so we're trying to keep our policies up with all the latest changes to protect you, the frontline worker. So let's take away our take-home points for COVID. Um, Sajin, what's your take-home points? What do you want people to remember? This is COVID-3, our latest updates. Stay strong, continue to use all your PPE. I know it's hard, but it's going to be worth it. Yeah, COVID not ending yet. Um, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And I think a lot of the changes we're making now are not temporary. I think we're going to keep doing this for a very long time. And so let's embrace our PPE and keep wearing it and keep social distancing. That's right. And then uh, my takeaway would be that uh, embrace the eye gel. It's really amazing. We actually use it in the hospital. So if you come in coding to the hospital, if you guys haven't put in the eye gel, we will. And uh, we too don't want to be intubating um, if the patient's already coding. And so we're using eye gels and all those. So feel free to use it as that rolls out. If not, use your king tube. And the less COVID exposure you have, the better. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, and we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or, or topics that you want covered. And you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.